Jesus Christ. This morning we have something extra to celebrate. There is, as you know, every Lord's Day, the celebration of our Savior's resurrection. And we can hear that proclaimed basically every Lord's Day, hear it in every sermon. But this morning there is the celebration of holy baptism. We witnessed the baptism of a newborn child, a child born to believing parents, parents who requested the administration of baptism for this child, a child that they, and we confess, belong to that one covenant of grace that God has established with believers and their seed and their offspring, a child that is sanctified, that is set apart, declared holy, and therefore as members of Christ's church ought to be baptized. As you know, one of the texts referred to in the form for the baptism of infants is our text, Acts 2, verse 39. This text is quoted in order to stress not only the adults, but also the children belong to that one covenant of grace, that promising covenant, the covenant with that rich promise to the believers and their children. This, that the only true God will be their God, continue to be their God in Jesus Christ, and then through the promised Holy Spirit, the great outpouring of its forms, the immediate context of our text. The context then reveals the festive celebration of the day of Pentecost, the day on which the triune God manifested his intent to continue with his covenant, that age-old covenant with believers and their children. Continue that age-old covenant with a thousand generations. But now, now in the fullness of time, continued in and thanks to the blood of Christ. Thanks to the holiness and righteousness he so wonderfully, so miraculously displayed in his suffering and death on that historical cross just outside Jerusalem. Now, Pentecost, beloved, is a celebration of the promises of God, actually of the promise of God. The promise of a perfect Savior. The promise of a complete salvation in Him. And salvation which consists of an everlasting communion, of an everlasting fellowship between a holy and righteous God and repentant sinners. Believers. And also what belongs to them their offspring, their children. So this morning, we want to take a close look at that festive <coughs> celebrate of promise that has come our way, has come the way of to us both old and young, to adults and children, to believers and their offspring. So our theme then is Christ calls his church to heed and celebrate the covenant of promise. We'll in turn see the content of this promise, the address of this promise, and the power of this promise. 
for the promises for you and for your children. Yeah, what promise? Well, beloved, the promise of a complete salvation from sin and misery. The salvation promised in and fulfilled by our Savior, Jesus Christ. There is, therefore, every reason to celebrate. Every reason for celebration, both in heaven and on earth. In heaven, the promise was fulfilled in that Jesus Christ received the Holy Spirit at his disposal in order to work out that salvation obtained by him, obtained by him on the cross here on this very earth. As you know, shortly after he returned to heaven, after his great victory over sin and Satan, the third person of the Godhead was poured out in the midst of his disciples, in the midst of his congregation. In order to have it, the congregation acknowledge and celebrate during the course of this last dispensation in this world that covenant promise as fulfilled by Christ in what we know as the fullness of time. That's how Christ was going to gather his church. That's how he was going to gather himself, a congregation chosen to everlasting life. And he was going to do so by his spirit and word, by extending that one covenant promise to more and more people, to be signed and sealed to believers from every nation, tribes, people, and languages, to believers and what belongs to them, their offspring, to godly parents and their children, extending that one covenant promise to them all, but then in order to have it received by faith. Now, beloved, by faith. Indeed, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, this covenant promise, as certified by the suffering and death of our Savior Jesus Christ, is to be realized, is to be made one own through faith. That's how it was under the old covenant. That's how it is and will be during the disposition of the new covenant. For we would misunderstand the times and the divine character of our God if we would separate these two dispensations, these two periods, as is it so often done these days. For however new that new covenant may be, the covenant of which Jeremiah already spoke in his God-given prophecy, specifically the part that we read from chapter 31. Again, however new it may be, it is only new insofar that it is the fulfillment of the old. And as such, is directly connected to the old. Cannot even be understood without the old. And therefore, should never be separated from the old covenant. There is only that one covenant of grace with those self-same promises, be it that they are now made more sure because of Christ's atoning sacrifice, but which promises carry that self-same demand of God's covenant people, namely that new obedience, that obedience of faith as expressed in cleaving to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with heart, soul, and mind as concretely expressed by forsaking the world, by putting off that old nature, and to lead a God-fearing life. Both covenants, then, have carry as objective the ultimate goal, a response in faith by his chosen people. 
Faith from the heart. Faith in God's covenant promises is certified by that precious blood of our Savior. At times people say that Pentecost is the church's celebration of mission, of evangelism. And indeed, cannot be denied, at Pentecost the doors are opened wide to the world. Think of all those languages, of all those different heathen nations they represent. Still, beloved, the first nine chapters of Acts only relate to us how God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, still wrestles for the soul of his old covenant people. It is only in chapter 10 that we hear of the conversion of a Cornelius, the first heathen, the first Gentile. But before that, all attention and all the work is directed to ancient Israel. Yet do understand that, well, it becomes rejected as people of God, not because they have crucified the Christ, but because they have rejected the gospel, the good news of Christ, as proclaimed on and ever since Pentecost. So, beloved, Acts 2 is the chapter of the renewal of that one covenant of grace. And that becomes clear from what Peter has to say to the people of Israel. The promise is for you and for your children. Again, what promise? The promise is quoted, for example, from the prophecy of Joel. The promise that no longer a few individuals, but the people as a whole, sons and daughters, old and young, slave or free, would be filled with the Holy Spirit, so wondrously and richly poured out over them all. Now there is stand before Peter, before Peter and the other apostles, men and women, old and young, rich and poor, that is then the people, the descendants of Abraham. Oh, people, yeah, you stand there as if what happens does not concern you. Well, that's not so. It does concern you. For the promise is for you. For you all. And it will become a reality also for you in the way, in that old way, of faith and repentance. That you will become filled with the Spirit of God. That's the promise that Peter refers to here. Mind you, this promise cannot be separated, may not be isolated from the other promises of God. For all God's promises, as you know, are yes and amen in Christ his Son. And therefore, they're also one in him. Thus, there is actually one promise. According to what we confess on Lord's Day 7, the content of our faith is all that is promised us in the gospel. The whole of the gospel, beloved, is a matter of promise. For it is the gospel of the promised Savior. When it says, therefore, the promise is for you, then you, cannot, then you can simply answer, then you do answer that this promise refers to the gospel as a whole. And in the light of Joel, we see then the twofold content of this promise. A Savior who worked, obtained a complete salvation, and a congregation that's filled with the work of his salvation. Yes, filled with him himself. Now, people in the street, take a look. Just take a look at those 120 there. The first harvest of the new, of that renewed covenant of grace. 
the covenant in the blood of Christ. Yet they're full of the Holy Spirit. Listen to that, Peter. He is full of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, you're rubbing your eyes. And you say to one another, the old days are here again. There are again prophets who prophesy. Yet I tell you, here that prayer of Moses is being fulfilled. Numbers 11 verse 29, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them all. Well, here it is. And this promise is for you, for the whole of Israel, for Jerusalem, for Judea, for Samaria. You shall be my witnesses, in fact, to the ends of the earth. So says the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the content of this promise of the covenant. A rich and full promise for all God's people. His people of every age to be demonstrated, publicly demonstrated in that holy sacrament of baptism. Now, no wonder then that our fathers have given this text a place in a beautiful form for the baptism of the members of God's covenant people, of the members of the body of Christ, of those who belong to the temple of the Holy Spirit. This text is then also a direct reference to those words spoken to Abraham, the father of all believers. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. That was, so to speak, the fundamental, the foundational covenant promise. And Acts 2 verse 39 gives then its glorious conclusion. It contains the concluding promise on which all those others come together, converge, are brought together. And between those two, Genesis 17 and Acts 2, fit all those others. And together they contain all that is promised us in the gospel, the gospel of Christ. That is to have part of, to share in the complete Savior Jesus Christ and to be able to serve him then in his everlasting kingdom. Now, I tell you the truth, this promise of the covenant is a full, a more than full promise of your God, the only true God, the living God, whose steadfast words he did command for a generations, for a thousand generations stand. Now that brings us to our second point. Now that we have seen the content of this promise of the covenant, we now want to see the address or the addresses of this promise. The question is, who are to receive this rich, full promise of the covenant as signified and sealed in holy baptism? As you know, there has been much talk about this in the Reformed churches in the past. In fact, this discussion led to synodical decisions which call for a liberation from those decisions. The 11th of August, 1944, and the 16th of April, 1950, we are the direct result of it for most of us. And this topic is being discussed again, this covenant, this doctrine of the covenant. For beloved, to be sure, we are not talking about a minor matter. May we ask about the address or the addressees of this covenant promise? As given by the Lord God through our only mediator and savior, Jesus Christ, 
We better be sure. We better be certain about this matter. There is enough uncertainty among God's covenant people. And we know the devil likes nothing better than spreading such uncertainty among the members of the Catholic Church of Christ. Uncertainty as to the address or the addresses of these divine promises. Of this divine promise of a complete salvation from God the Father in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Again, the question is whether this promise of our God is true and certain, whether it's trustworthy and whether it's addressed. We ask each one for him or herself, can I count on it? Can I rely on it in my life, in my circumstances, in my needs, in my struggles? Well, listen to Peter, who on behalf of Christ came to liberate his listeners from their uncertainty. The promise is for you. Very concretely, you. There is no doubt about it. He sees that multitude in front of them. The children, the descendants of Abraham. Now, deceived and lost children. But God is now leading and guiding them on the way of salvation. Now, of a complete salvation in the crucified Christ. Yeah, the one whom they crucified. Peter addresses that people. Those covenant children, the promises for you. Now, that was actually not something new for them. They could have known. Doesn't Peter repeat an age-old axiom, a well-known truth? Now, you can imagine someone stepping forward and asking, Well, sir, Peter, that sounds all very nice, what you said, but does it also apply to me? You stated it nicely in general, but what does it specifically mean for me? May I now truly apply that to myself? Well, beloved, what do you think Peter's answers would have been? Wouldn't have been well, of course, man. You're circumcised, aren't you? You belong to God's covenant people, to Abraham's descendants, don't you? Yes? Well, what more do you want? You shouldn't want any more, then. The one word ought to suffice. The promise is for you. Period. All you covenant children, you congregation of the new day. And don't you dare doubt it. You don't want to make God a liar, do you? The promise is for you. Comes to you via the mouth of this man of God. It is God who made Peter speak this way. Made him proclaim it loud and clear. In order to reach you, to convince you that the promise is for you. And in his grace, God gives you a right to it. Causes you even to plead on the basis of it. Yes, he demands faith from you. The faith in that promise which contains all that Christ has obtained for you, which includes, and very much includes, the powerful workings of the Spirit. So that you being engrafted into Christ by true faith would bear much fruit, would image your Savior in word and deed. So this promise then is addressed to you. Yes, addresses you. And not only you. This promise of a complete salvation in Jesus Christ to be imparted to your heart by the Holy Spirit by means of God's word is for you and for your children. For a certainty. 
The new covenant, new in the blood of Christ, new in that it addresses both now Jew and Gentile. It does not call for a revolution, but it calls for a reformation. And that's why God's ordinances of old remain standing. You and your seed, you and your offspring, you and your descendants. There is no change of address, beloved. The prophecy of Joel is addressed to you and to your children. It is for the coming generations. Again, it is for you and for your children. For all of them, without exception. Indeed, it has been suggested, theorized, that those words were addressed to God's people of old, to those who belong to the old covenant. The words, the promises for you and for your children. But beloved, in the new covenant, it's, it's going to be the same. Yeah, according to the theory, it's going to be a matter only now of an internal call. Those only believers belong to this new covenant of grace. Actually, only the elect. But we say, and we confess, absolutely not. The Greek, the original language of the New Testament, makes it very clear that there are no restrictions. This promise is for everyone whom the Lord calls to his people, his household, to the congregation of Abraham, the father of all believers. And he calls them through the Peters and through the apostles, yes, through the gospel that they and we preach, officially proclaim. Yes, God calls to his people, adds to his covenant people by means of his spirit and word. And also and especially by letting children, infants to be born to believing parents. Now, beloved, do we need texts? Who of us does not belong to the sheep that his hand wants to tend and guide? Not the little ones? Not the lambs of this flock? How completely unscriptural that would be. Don't they belong together? The older and the younger ones, the parents and their offspring, the believers and their children? Well, to ask it is to answer it. They all belong. The promise is for you and for your children. For the Lord has called you to his people, his one people of both old and new has called you by his spirit and word. And therefore, the promise of a complete salvation is for you and for your children. Exactly the truth that is so gloriously demonstrated by holy baptism, that we and our children belong together, together under God, both the adults and infants of this congregation, this flock of sheep and lambs. Brought together at this place, they all belong to God the Father, to Christ the Savior, and to the Holy Spirit, into whose name they also have been baptized. And who goes all out, especially from Lord's Day to Lord's Day, to the official proclamation, who goes all out to impart to us that rich promise of what we have in Christ, namely the cleansing of our sins and the daily renewal of our lives. Now, to be sure, no one in a truly Reformed Catholic Church wants to state with this that, all, that those, all those who receive this promise, those promises, will be saved. Because we have learned to understand from Scripture 
that the covenant, that holy relationship established by God with men is a forensic, is a legal one. It carries a legal framework. It expresses our legal status, our God-given privilege, position, in fact. And that's how we understand as well that God fulfills his given promises in this covenant relationship in the way of a response. The response of faith as expressed in that new obedience, an obedience rooted in faith. Take note that Peter says, the promises are for you, and not from you, for you. You may not put them in your pocket, so to speak, with the claim, well, they're mine now. No, they are for you, so that you would receive them in faith, and would make them your own for your soul's salvation, so that you would also come to celebrate them, as we also do every time the sacrament of baptism is administered. Well, beloved, so far then we have heard about the content as well as the address of this promise. So what about our third point, the power of this promise? Well, we want to bring this out, beloved, by paying attention to that one more word of our text, the very first one. Unfortunately, the people behind the NIF version didn't deem it necessary to use it, even though it's found in the original Greek and translated as such in other versions, including the RSV version. It is the word for. I just about automatically read it the first time around. For the promise is for you and for your children. For is the conjunction which connects our text to the previous verse. In our text, the reason is given for the content given in the verse preceding it. As you know, Peter has mentioned two things. He has talked about a demand and a promise. The demand was to repent. For the promise is for you. And the promise, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you. That little word for, then, reveals the power of God's word in our text. As you know, there had been a fearful falling away in Israel from the Lord God. That living faith of the fathers was hardly to be seen anymore. Israel's life, in fact, had become secularized, worldly. Now, something that happens in the church time and again. Do they still serve the Lord with an undivided heart? Now, is repentance not foremost and for us all most more necessary than our daily bread? Well, if so, beloved, then that promise of Acts 2 gives us a powerful motivation to pursue that repentance. Indeed, it may be a word that presses hard, hardened sinners on the way of perdition, but especially to be a word that causes the humble to walk in the way of peace, Perhaps you know that since the liberation, we learned a new and meaningful expression, semper reformanda, continuous reformation. As I said, most meaningful, but then our walk with God better be a matter of the heart, better be a living close to his infallible word, and a living that reflects that rich promise of salvation, a promise certified by the blood of our dear Savior Jesus Christ, and a promise publicly signed and sealed to us in holy baptism. 
And because of that rich fool promise, the Lord wants us now to move beyond intermittent religious actions. He demands the whole of us. Not a pious action here and there, but our whole life has to be pious, has to be dedicated to the Lord. He expects from us, his children, that we fight and overcome sin, that we do put off our old nature, and that we do lead a God-fearing life. Now, all the time, every day. Well, beloved, if you consider that, who then will not acknowledge that I'm just at the very beginning? There is only a small beginning with me of that new obedience. Yes, yes, but then it better be there. That beginning to live according to all the commandments of our God. The commandments which are proclaimed here from Lord's Day to Lord's Day. And beloved, it can be there with us. For, for the promise is for you and for your children. The promise of the Holy Spirit who has come to you to impart to you everything that Christ has obtained for you. His people, his flock, his sheep, his lambs. So what a task awaits us then. To uphold that name of our God. To proclaim his faithfulness from day to day. And express it in word and deed. Indeed, yet what little power we have what little power we display when it comes to placing our personal life under the discipline of our Savior Jesus Christ and to let the whole of our life become permeated by that rich, full promise of his complete salvation. Nevertheless, the promise is for you. The promise that the Spirit of Christ will guide you, will comfort you, and will remain with you forever and ever. Beloved, let that covenantal fact then empower you. Empower you amidst all the struggles and trials and cause you to celebrate. Yeah, every day anew the triumph of your Savior Jesus Christ. The triumph of that salvation that is obtained for you in your life. As manifested so clearly in the outpouring of that promised Holy Spirit. And as publicly demonstrated from time to time. Those promises signed and sealed to you in holy baptism. There is, beloved, with you today, there is for you from day to day, all the days of your life, every reason then to pursue that festive celebration of your complete salvation in Jesus Christ. For that covenant promise is for great and small. It is for you and for your children. Amen. Let us sing of this for Psalm 115, stanzas 